Thanks for joining us today on Kingdom Roots. Our podcast is made possible by Northern Seminary. I want to let you know about an opportunity with Northern that I hope you'll join me. Growing in my understanding of the New Testament in its context is what I have spent my life pursuing. I believe it's crucial to the kingdom's mission today. That's why I always get excited when I get to teach my class on the New Testament and its world and all the various courses connected to it. On Tuesday, September 13th, from 10 a.m. to noon, the admissions team at Northern is hosting a Taste of Northern. It's an opportunity to get a taste of what it's like to be in a seminary class, and I hope you'll join me. So I'm going to ask you to think about joining us. September 13th, 10 a.m. to noon, you can partake in our class. We know it can feel intimidating to think about pursuing an education in a seminary, and that's why we want to make it as easy as possible for you to get a taste of what this kind of experience is like. So sign up today at seminary.edu backslash taste. Again, that's seminary.edu backslash taste. I hope we get to see you in class. Welcome to the Kingdom Roots podcast with Scott McKnight, the conversation designed to look at how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. My name is Laura Taro, and today on the podcast, Scott and I are continuing our conversation about signs of possible toxicity in your church. So Scott, in our last episode, we talked about the role of secrecy in toxic church culture. And as we continue to help people try to identify toxicity in their own church culture, where another area that we thought would be good to highlight is the issue of power. So I wanted to start because I've heard you talk about this before, about the role of power in leadership, and you always distinguish between a healthy use of power and a toxic use of power. And I thought it would be great to start there for our listeners. If you could help us define the difference between a healthy use of power and a toxic use of power, what does that look like? Yeah, this is really good, Laura. And I do think that is what we tell our audiences and everything is that power is the elephant in the room that nobody Mm -hmm. wants to talk about. And it is everywhere present. And the less you are aware of its presence, the more dangerous your power is. Mm. And this is something that happens to me every now and then. I'll say something, I'll think, well, why would they be paying attention to what I had to say? Well, because I have a little bit of influence that people are going to listen to you say, well, why would they listen to me? I'm I'm not a politician, but I think the, I did read a book by Andy Crouch on power. And I thought it was a good book, but I really thought the book by Diane Langberg was so important. And one of the big things that I saw with her is that everybody has power because they're a a human being. And because we are in relationships and almost 100% of people in the world have power in one form or another with different relationships that we have. And we tend to think about power in just big categories. 
I can tell you what to do. Or men have power over women. Or the boss has power over me. Or the president has power. But there's all kinds of different power that is that that we have available. There's there's spiritual power where a pastor and a lot of pastors don't even like this set of categories because it's made them dangerous or yeah. made them susceptible to criticism today. And I think it's unavoidable that they need to become aware of it. And we're getting letters from professors. They're starting to use Tove in seminary classes. So that's really good. But pastors have spiritual power. Parents have power over children. Siblings, the older sibling or the more dominant sibling has more power than the other siblings. A neighbor can have power. There's emotional power. Some people have an ability to use their emotions in a way that virtually controls something mm. else. Yeah. Psychological power is a deeper form of emotional coercion, in a sense, or goodness. It could be used well. There is logical power. There is job power. There is structural power. There is job assignment power. So in the hierarchy of the job, there is governmental power. There's political power. There's a police power. All these powers are at work and all of them need to be examined. So from Diane Langberg, I saw the reality that we all have power and the diversity of powers mm. that we can exercise. For instance, let's just say that you sell shoes in a store and someone comes in and looks, is looking for, and they're, they don't, they obviously don't know what the heck they're looking for. They don't know anything about the shoes. So you use your power in that setting to say, I'm an Adidas guy. <laughs> I don't like Nike. I am going to have these people. I'm going to show them Adidas first. That's a retail power. Mm. And advertisement is power. So we need to recognize the diversity of powers that are at work in yeah. our culture. And we probably need to see everyone in our context exercising some kind of power. That's good. All right. So yeah. Good. And I think, well, first, I want to make sure our listeners know the book that you're referring to by da Diane Langberg is Redeeming Power. And if you haven't read it yet, I strongly encourage you to because it is a powerful book. It's, oh, it's a bit powerful. of a pun, writing, a bit of a pun, writing but it's so good. Yeah. Yes. But I'm thinking too about both positive and negative uses of power, because I think it's easy for us to come up with examples of negative uses of power pe where people have abused their power. But it's also an opportunity to use power for good in the sense of a person who is looking around a room full of people and can identify someone who's not including themselves, who's not participating, but goes out of their way to find a subtle way to include them and to highlight their participation, that's a positive use of power and a good use of power. There are lots of ways to explore how power can be used for good. And I think we, we tend to fall into the trap of only thinking of it negatively. Yeah. But I think- Our colleague, uh, yeah. David Fitch, is a bit this way. I think he, I don't know if you've heard him talk about it, but times I've had students say that power, the church has no power. The Christians in churches are not to have any power. I think. No, that world doesn't exist that I know of. So I like Diane Langberg. I know what David's trying to do. He's trying to redeem power. He's doing yeah. what Diane Langberg is saying. But there is power. 
I don't know exactly where I think you're getting ready to ask a question. So I'll let you do that. But I have a nice little outline here of something I wanted to say. So you go ahead. <laughs> well, I'm thinking about how Jesus used power, because I think that, and this might be surprising to some of our listeners to, to associate Jesus with using power, but I think it's clear that he did. And I would love to hear you talk a little bit about examples of Jesus using power and how he asked his disciples to use power. So could you, I see you pulled your Bible down, which is so fun. Could you give us some examples from the life of Jesus and his disciples that help us understand what healthy power looks like and how Jesus wants us to consider using power? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I pulled off my trusty little NRSV that I have down here in, the live, in my basement. Okay, this is a famous passage in Mark 10, 35 to 45. By the way, I just got a letter from a very famous pastor who wants to explore, I think, he's probably going to write a book on this, A Christian Use of Power. Ooh. And he asked for some suggestions. I thought, There's a lot of stuff going on here, but, and servant leadership is one of the themes. And I think they have something to say, but for most of us, it's just not, there's just not enough exegesis and exposition and scripture and exploration of kingdom and all that stuff in it. So it's good. And it gets to the, where the road, where the rubber meets the road and that's where they, and so it's a good point. And Michael Gorman has cruciformity, which really takes us totally to another level. But in Mark 10, 35, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came forward to Jesus and said to him, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Can't you just see, say, Jesus, look at it, humor me. Tell me what you got here. <laughs> and he said to them, what is it you want me to do for you? Okay. Well, they he's given them a golden opportunity. They said to him, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. <laughs> oh, Jesus is saying they want to be right next to the king. Right. You know, that's the basking in glory and power. But glory, in your glory, there is a very important expression because glory in the ancient world is in a honor, shame, honor, shame culture where glory is connected to that whole thing of status and receiving the top level of status. And mm -hmm. that's exactly what Jesus turns on. Yeah. So he says to them, you do not know what you're asking. Are you? So he asks another question. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? They said, we're able. I think he said, <laughs> oh, no, you have no idea what I'm asking. But OK, I'll let you have that one. Then Jesus said, the cup that I drink, you will drink. Cup was a change of image in the sense that all of a sudden they realize the cup he's talking about is not what we wanted. Mm. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. Now, I think we could say here, and then I'll dwell on this just a minute. They want what I would call unredeemed power. Mm. And I like to use prepositions. I'm an old Greek teacher. And so the prepositions that I think are appropriate here is they want power over. Mm. They, want to they, they want to control. They want to dominate. 
They want to be able to tell people what to do, to write the laws, to implement the laws, to punish the wrongdoers, to reward the lawdoers. And so they want this kind of power and they're, they want that domination. And then they also want a power that I call a power two. And there's hmm. not, this is slightly redeemed. Instead of domination, their idea is influence. And Caitlin Beatty has a new book on celebrities. It's a good book. I really like what she's doing here. But she sends with her book, and I got a, I got a box with her book in it this week, is that I think there's a little square thing that says Jesus doesn't need any more influencers. This is, I remember when I first started writing books that people read that, that publishers cared about, and they had marketing teams and publicity mm -hmm. people, and they would say things, send us a list of your influencers. And I would go, what's an influencer? <laughs> At first, I didn't even know what this term meant. <laughs> they said, and then the ladies, this lady says to me, her name is Carol. She says, big mouths. People who, when they talk about your book, other people that other people will listen and buy the book. We want to know who are the big mouths. So in, influencers. And I think that's the other side to what the disciples want. They wanted to be able to influence. They had they wanted to have power to make things happen. Yeah. You've been in seminary. Every now and then you bump into someone, and I'm pretty impressed with the character of the students we have at our seminary. Yeah. I yeah. don't think we have very many seminary students who have a dream of being a mega church pastor with all yeah. the glitz and glam connected to it. But uh, we run into people every now and then who say something, you go, oh, I'm not sure that's what pastors want to be doing. They say things, ah, I don't like that. And most of the time we keep our mouth shut. But every now and then, as a professor, I'll say, I don't think that's quite what pastoring is about. Yeah. So they want, they want to be able to have influence and they get into it. Uh, and they, they pursue leadership in churches, the elder board, the deacon board this board, that board, that committee, this committee, because they want for the result to be the result that they want. Right. So they see themselves on those committees as people who are going to have influence. And I, I think that's unredeemed power. I mm. think that's unredeemed power. And yes, we do have influence, but to pursue a position in order to have influence, I think is where we start running astray. Then it's the influence rather than, let's say, the servants we have to offer. So Jesus responds to this desire for domination and influence or power over and power to with a completely different theory of power. Mm. When First of all, when the ten heard this, they began to be angry with James and John. You know why? Because they they wanted those two seats. I don't. I, they were mad they didn't think of it first. <laughs> I got to remember that. So Jesus called them and said to them that among the Gentiles, the ethnic groups, those whom they recognize as their rulers, and here's the dynamic expression, lord it over them. Yeah. There is power over. And that is the way of Rome. In the popular mindset of Jesus and his followers and the ordinary people of Galilee and Judea. Now, the 
Sadducees and the power mongers, the Herodians, etc., in the city of Jerusalem didn't look at it that way. They thought we're going to bask in their lordships and their power over. And their great ones are tyrants over them. So that's yeah. that's the emperor. That's a very indirect form of criticism of the emperor. But it is not so, it is not to be really so among you. Whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first, whoever wishes to be great, make America great again. See, this is <laughs> whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son mm -hmm. of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So here we have two more prepositions. Instead of domination and influence, power over power too, Jesus sees power redeemed when it moves from domination and influence to power with, which is mm. sharing power. And that is to share your platform your audience, your ideas with someone else. Mm. And it is to see someone who has the giftedness or, like you just said, is a person in the room who doesn't feel like they're a part of what's going on and they need to be included. And someone sees them and says, I'm going to do the include. It's a matter of sharing. So it's it's using the power that we have to spread it to other people. And this is this is the distribution of power. And I believe that most of the time that the distribution of power actually enhances power and increases power rather yeah. than sharing in the sense of now I have half the power and you have half the power. Instead of looking at it that way, it is we now both have power appropriate for what we're called to do and what we're getting to do. And the fourth preposition is for, and that is to empower someone else. And that is actually giving away our power to someone else. And Jesus gave his entire life so that others might have life. That's a Christian use of power. And I know you're going to see this. You're going to, you're a pastor of a church. Transforming a donut shop into a church. I see your, <laughs> I love to see your pictures. Chris and I are always talking about these pictures. You will find that there are times when you, because of your, the pastor, and because of your leadership gifts and skills, that you are going to be able to make decisions. And it's intoxicating to make decisions that come back good. Yeah. And people yeah. go, oh, that was so good. I'm so glad you made that decision. Now oh, we're really humming and buzzing. And then, of course, it becomes power becomes intoxicating like that. But it is the, the Christian use of power is to use the power that we have to empower other people. Right. And it is not the annihilation or the erasure of power because that never can happen. I want somebody to tell David Fitch, I just said that, my <laughs> colleague. We can't actually operate without power, but it is how we use that power and what we do with the power that we have in 
distributing it and even giving it away so that yeah. someone else. Now, you probably know at our seminary, we have a professor. He's sort of part-time pastor. He's a past full-time pastor and he teaches. His name is Wayne Gordon down at the mm -hmm. Lawndale Christian Community. Coach. Coach. That's right. <laughs> at one point, he became convinced in his ministry that as a white man in a predominantly black neighborhood, that he needed to surrender his position as pastor. Do you know about this story? And he gave, in a sense, he gave the pastorate to, to an African-American leader who was yeah. organic to the church. And he didn't last that long. And then Wayne became the pastor again. But I remember hearing Wayne tell that story the first time. We were, I think, on mm -hmm. a faculty retreat, or maybe he was just telling me privately. And I thought, that is Mark 1045 right there. That is yeah. it is that is giving your power to someone else so that they can become the person who has the power who can then distribute it to other people. And so good. This is where I think, I think it is so hard for us to discern where our power lies and what power we have. And it is so hard to lead in a way that does not abuse power in the last two years, 18 months, whatever it has been. It's almost two years now because Laura and I, my book, Tove, came out two years ago. And almost all the stories that we have heard in two years have been stories of the abuse of power. Mm. And that's because power is inherent to church leadership. It is invisible. And it is almost impossible not to abuse. Yeah. So it's not that there's ever going to be a day when we no longer have the abuse of power. It is the willingness for each of us to listen and learn where we have power and to ask ourselves, what am I doing with that power? Am I empowering others? Am I distributing that power? Or yeah. am I using it to get what I want, influence? Or am I using it to dominate other people? And there's far too much of the first domination in church contexts than, than should ever take place for those who follow the Jesus of Mark 10, mm -hmm. 35 to 45. Now, that was a really mm -hmm. long answer. <laughs> <laughs> it was so good, though. You were preaching there for I'm, a minute. I'm rolling there. Yeah. yeah, I love that. So I have two thoughts. So we could go in either one of these directions. And one is just to camp out in Mark 10 for a little bit and to talk about the self-emptying of Jesus. And when you talk about the cup and baptism, I think of suffering. Yeah. I think of Philippians 2. That's where my brain goes. That's all Michael Gorman and cruciformity, all of that together, yeah, yeah. which I think for pastors to spend some time studying those ideas and to think about the model of Christ, the self-emptying love of Christ as their model, their leadership model. That mm -hmm. should be it, is that self-emptying love. And I think all of those words are important. The self, that you're emptying of self and that you're responding out of love. That is the way of Christ, and that should be the way of our leadership. So I'm thinking about that, but I'm also torn because I want to move into the space of talking about just practically what our listeners should be watching for. And I think you've given us some of those things, 
But as they're examining their own context, their church culture, or the or Christian organization that they're a part of, and they're thinking, is this abuse of power happening where I am? What are some warning signs that they should be looking for? And I'm thinking you've named a couple, this power over, this desire to dominate, this unhealthy obsession with influence, these kinds of things. Um, but what are, let's go there. Let's, what are some patterns that you've noted as you've been on this journey with a book of Tove, the church called Tove, as you've heard back from readers and people who've experienced abuse in their church or their Christian organization, what are what were some patterns of abuse of power that people have seen at work in their organizations? Okay, I'll give you two. The first one I would say is the is to look at people to see if you think they're trying to climb the ladder at that church or in that organization. Are they, um, in a sense, you're going to be able to, it's almost, it's a discerning thing. Are you discerning that they are doing what the boss above them, the person they answer to, tells them to do so that they can grease the skid so that they can take over that position so that they can rise. Are they looking to rise? Now, in my field of New Testament studies, biblical studies, in your field of pastoring, this is recognized when people seem to be, let's say, lo locked on a job, but mm. they're looking over the fence to see if there might be a bigger church, a more lucrative church, a more glam church, or um, Am I going to get some a higher status for publications if I move my job from Northern Seminary to Harvard Divinity School? And they're going. To, I'm looking to get into that school. So that sort of climbing is to recognize climbers as people who probably, when they get to the top, are going to abuse power. Yeah. Okay. A second one would be sycophants. Now. Sycophants also has a very fancy name. They call them flying monkeys. Do you know about flying monkeys? Huh? From the Wizard of Oz? <laughs> yes, it's from the Wizard of Oz. But flying monkeys are people who a narcissistic leader has mm -hmm. around him. I like to call them oh, sycophants. Yeah. They're the ones who suck up to a leader. But yeah. flying monkeys are also, not only do they suck up to the leader and want to be in that leader's power and glory and penumbra, they are also sent, even if not verbally or by intention, but they just know it's their job to go out there and tell that person to knock it off or we're going to get rid of you. So they're yes. almost, they're sent out to harass other people to keep everybody in line with the top leader. So those are signs that power is being abused in the church, so centralized that it's all being protected and garnered into one person or one office or an, an office of a few. A third sign of toxic power is when you talk to a junior leader and you get the impression that they can't make a decision without first going to the boss. Yeah, that is a sign that the boss doesn't trust anyone making decisions on their own. Mm. 
That's not good. That's a sign of a toxic centrality, centralization of power that mm -hmm. will eventually become abusive because that's the way that kind of power works. So those are a few. You gave us a bonus one there. That's so good. I, the next question is, what should leaders do to practice healthy power in their churches and Christian organizations? So what should leaders do to practice healthy power? And then what would what should church members do to help encourage the use of power in their church and in their organization? So leaders, but then also church members of organizations, yeah, how can yeah. they support it? Well, I think uh, people who use power well do this instinctively instinctually. And so it, it doesn't even need to be given a category or a point because they do it well. And that is people need to share, distribute their power, and they need to give it away. Hmm. All right. Now, you will be tempted by this within the next year of sharing the pulpit with someone and one of the greatest disciplines for pastors is to share the pulpit with someone who's a better preacher. Yeah. Because then the people will go, wow, that person is really good. <laughs> that person is really good. And it's a, it's a, you are in a sense, you learn humility and you learn your giftedness. Yeah. And if you can accept that you're going to be in a good place for sharing power. But if you are unwilling to share that pulpit, unwilling to share the leadership of a deacon meeting and say, I'm sick, mm -hmm. you take over and we'll right. trust your judgment. Those sorts of decisions, I think pastors need to, I used to, I've told students at Northern no, numerous times, they need to practice losing arguments and whatever, power decisions. So good. Yeah, They need to practice losing that. Now, okay, I can't remember the other question because I thought that was a pretty good answer. Well, I think it is a good answer. I think, too, for people who are maybe not decision makers in the church or the organization, so just average members, how can they help support a culture of he healthy power in their church? How can they help their leaders practice healthy power? Well, I think they they need to be able to have some safety to be able to talk to pastors and say, you need to share the pulpit more. You need to share leadership. Mm -hmm. I've often wondered if pastors should never preach more than 50% on the pulpit and disappear for a month at a time yeah. and let someone else totally be in charge without ever consulting them. And the first pastor comes back and whatever decisions have been made, they stick. You don't get to change yeah. them. Just to practice other people making decisions because mm -hmm. a culture forms, Laura, over time that only so-and-so, James, let's just call him James. I don't mean any pastor in the Chicagoland area. It does work. <laughs> that they realize that only that person can mm -hmm. make the decisions. And when that's right. happening, everybody's just waiting on one person. And that's a very unhealthy use of power. God gifts everybody in the church to yeah. exercise gifts. And we need to, let's see, create a culture, have a fertile ground so that all the seeds can grow. Yes. And over time, we'll have a forest 
rather than one big tree that yeah. we have to sit under. And then when you have a forest of maple trees, it's so much more beautiful in the fall, isn't it? When they turn <laughs> red and yellow. Instead of just one tree, we have a whole yeah. forest of these trees. That's, I think we need, I think that would be one of the great things that churches can learn in the use of power. Mm, that's beautiful. I It makes me think of 1 Corinthians 12, where Paul is talking about spiritual gifts. Yeah. And the image that comes through is, I think Paul does a beautiful job of saying, there are some gifts that get more recognition, but all of these gifts are necessary. Yeah. And just because some get more recognition than others doesn't mean they're more important or valuable or necessary than anybody else's gifts. We need all of them. And when we share, we all benefit. When we hoard power, when we hang on to it for dear life and hold it over others, we are in essence draining life from other gifted right. people in our communities that God has given us. And we're not allowing them to use their gifts, yeah. which is a problem between us and the Holy Spirit, really. <laughs> it is. It is. It's, a, our, it's our own lordship that we're protecting. As you're planting your church, hmm. I'm sure you have had infinite number of meetings where you're forming a coalition of people who have learned to listen to one another and who have accepted the wisdom of one another. I and hope so, so. And so the culture that is forming is not Laura and Jeff Perro's culture. Right. It's the culture that you have, let's say, fertilized yeah. in, in your garden. That yes. all these other people, I can see what's happening. You've got all these volunteers at your church working on everything. And that's that's a great sign. That is a great mm. sign. Instead of paying someone to do it all, you're working together. That's really <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Painting and cleaning and yes, all kinds of good Get things. Get a new floor. Yes, getting new floors. Going in today. So exciting. <laughs> <laughs> and you're not there supervising it. I know. Well, I've checked in a couple times. Well, I so appreciate this conversation, Scott. I think that this is highly relevant to our listeners and these tools of being able to identify toxicity in our churches, I just think is critical at yeah. this particular moment. So I think it's it's a helpful conversation. I want to thank you all for listening and we look forward to being with you next time as we continue our conversation on how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. Thanks so much.